1: This is Up to Date on KCUR 89.3. Well, March 7, 2020, in Missouri and Kansas each announced their first confirmed COVID-19 cases. Now a conversation with a veteran respiratory therapist who looks back at months of pandemonium and death. She'll give us her account of just how ready one Kansas side hospital was for the wave of COVID-19 cases and the toll that three years of COVID-19 the pandemic had on her. With us, Julie Main is a 10-year respiratory therapist who worked at a hospital in Kansas during the pandemic and worked in the emergency room, the intensive care unit, and on all the floors. She now works for the VA. Julie, it's nice to have you on the show. Welcome.
0: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, Missouri and Kansas announced their first confirmed COVID cases exactly three years ago today, but the world has been watching, had been watching the virus spread since December of 2019. How did your hospital prepare you for what was coming? Did they do a good job considering so little was known about the, the virus at the time?
0: It was hard at the time because, um, you know, it's knowing what we know now, it's easy to kind of look back. But at the time, you kind of watched it coming. You you watched it. Um, you knew things like that, that you weren't going to, you know. You had to make sure not to touch your face and like, you know, little things mm-hmm. that you normally do every day. Um, you had to be more conscious about it. Um, they kind of knew how it spread, but it was um, kind of a they, they learned more and more as it kind of went on. And especially as a respiratory therapist, you know, everything that we do is aer- aerosolized or everything that we do involves. um breathing or just how it was Mm -hmm. spread. And so we were kind of like, well, how are, what, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to navigate through this and keep ourselves safe and, and help people too?
1: Yeah. How concerned were you for your safety back at that time, Julie? Because do you remember how you personally felt as this thing was making its way to Kansas City?
0: Um, yeah, it was, it was one of those where it, It was you kind of felt nice to be living in the Midwest Um, at the time. It was kind of like, you know, it was basically, you know, hit really hard on on the coast. And so and then we were kind of here. um, I don't want to say kind of trickled in, but, you know, the numbers started out out small at the time. It was we weren't as busy because, you know, if you remember the whole country shut down. So you weren't there weren't a lot of elective surgeries and just normal things that hospitals um you know normal patients like i don't know knee replaces mm-hmm. and, sh- and shoulders and things like that just they weren't doing those anymore and so you were just kind of it was almost kind of like you felt like there was this like calm before the storm this right. kind of lull. right you knew it was coming but then you didn't quite know. I remember that I had a really good friend of mine who uh, she was an ICU nurse, and she actually decided to take an eight-week contract job and go to New York and have and and help out and work, you know, help in New York. And the stories that she came back with were just nothing compared to you know what we saw. I mean, it, as far as we didn't see as much as you know what they what they did. So I can only imagine. So. It, I don't know, it kind of made me appreciate living in the Midwest and in Kansas City. Just because
1: New York had so many cases coming at medical professionals so quickly, Julie?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was almost like the problem was, you know, just so much more exacerbated as far as. the the number of people and and it's also kind of hard too because you also have like the turnover it's like there's only so many beds in the hospital and so you have you know kind of like a bottleneck you have people already in the beds but then you have people in the emergency room waiting for a bed um and and it just it it just becomes overwhelming Mm -hmm.
1: you know when this thing started medical professionals you know they were the heroes uh as as the the pandemic continued public opinion seemed to shift at least for some people walk me through the 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 stage of emotions the range of emotions and the public response that you've gone through over the past three years as people uh the reactions to you change perhaps
0: yeah, it was, it, you know, in in the beginning, you know, we were still considered essential. So I still had to go to work every day. And as far as that part of my life was not really interrupted, I still had my schedule and I still went to work and we would get cards from um, grade schoolers, you know, thanking us for going to work and mm-hmm. thanking us for, you know, what we did and and that. And then it kind of as the I don't want to say. It, it, there there was there was had, where is absolutely a distrust as far as that that developed mm-hmm. and i'm not entirely certain why that happened um or i mean you you can talk about that and debate that and have a conversation about that but there there definitely did start to have a distrust whether it be a distrust to the doctors or to like what you know the the treatment options or the the treatment recommendations or anything along those lines. And so as things were developed um, such as um, for example, like the uh, um, the vaccination and that you know that's the what you know people or the medical community had started recommending, you know you do, it just it it did it kind of shifted to, Thank you. Thank you for what you do. I mean, there was food always, um, every day delivered to the hospital. Then it went to a um no, like, you know, I Googled it or, you know, I I looked up what treatment I want and and this is what I want. I want this and this and but I don't want this and that. And and it just it changed.
1: I, I can't help but wonder, Julie, how all this affected you and your family for that matter. I mean, did you ever just hit a wall and think, you know, you just can't do this anymore?
0: Oh yeah, Uh, you know, as somebody who kind of like fell into the profession, know what I mean by that. But like I, I did not think of this as my dream job. I didn't always want to be a respiratory therapist. But once I got into it, I loved my job. I absolutely love my job, and I'll never forget one day I was driving to work, and I was so tired, and I was just I had got to the point where I started thinking why am I doing this? Like I, I would much rather, you know, go work at Walmart, go, go anywhere, do anything else than go to work today. Wow. And that's when I had to stop myself and be like, Oh, this is wow. Okay. Um, it, it, it was hard. It yeah, was yeah. absolutely
1: hard. You also told our producer, Julie, that, you know, prior to COVID, you go months between a patient's uh, death But that changed during the pandemic. Tell me about that and how that might have affected you.
0: Oh, yeah. So as the uh, as a respiratory therapist, we are on all of the kind of specialized teams. So we are on the code team and we're on whether it be a rapid response team or whatever you want to call it at a different hospital. We are on the team that goes to where if there's some kind of emergency. So, yeah, it used to be you would have, you know, if you work three days a week, you'd maybe go to one um, or two in a week, you know, maybe something along those lines. But um, at the height of the pandemic or, you know, especially here in Kansas City, at the height of that, it was it was daily and then it was multiple a day. And mm. then uh, and it was it, and and on top of that like I didn't I don't want to say that I feel like I had it worse but I can tell you that doctors were you know signing death certificates, multiple death certificates a day um nurses were having to call family members multiple multiple times a day you know Mm uh letting loved ones know that that death was intimate or you know um that that was it was it was close and and if they wanted to, you know, see them or, you know, especially through an iPad or something like that or, you know, talk to them, then they needed they needed to do it now. And we lost a lot of really, really good ICU nurses right. because they just were tired. They were tired of making those phone calls. And, to, you know, I don't want to say like dashing people's hopes, but letting them know that that we've done everything and there's nothing more that we can do. And, you know, and we're
1: sorry you mentioned the ipad and there, yeah. were, there were reports at the time of doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists like yourself who wound up holding ipads so that loved ones could talk with and they could see their dying family members really in the final moments of their lives that must have been really something for you to 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 go through
0: oh yeah um it was it was absolutely it was it was hard and it was kind of weird all at the same time and and honestly i probably haven't processed all of it to, mm-hmm. you know even now now like a couple years later but um yeah but it is like you know until you actually witness and watch somebody die because they are having a hard time breathing and they just can't breathe and they are struggling and you want to help them and you want to do what, you know, what you can. Um, yeah, there were many times that I, you know, held, held you know, held an iPad for, you know, a family member because we were getting ready to intubate them. Mm-hmm. And I knew, I knew that this was the last time that they were going to have a conversation with their loved ones because they were not going to make it. Mm-hmm. And so that is hard. But then at the same time, you can't, you have to figure out a way to, you um, to not necessarily deal with it at the time. I kind of push it down because right after you get done doing that, you have to walk into somebody else's room right, and right. take care of them. And they don't know
1: what just happened. So you had to and handle so you it. To, you had to manage it.
0: Oh yeah. Or maybe we didn't. And I don't, I don't know, but yeah, you kind of have to push it down. And the, the nice thing about it, well, I shouldn't say the nice thing. It's kind of weird, but like, Emotion for me is taking out of it because that's not my loved one. So for me, right, right. my job is to intubate and to get the doctor everything that they need to, to intubate. And as soon as I'm done with that, I got to go do something right. else.
1: We'll be back in just a minute. I'm visiting with Julie Main, a 10-year respiratory therapist, to about her experiences working her way through the pandemic, which began three years ago today in Missouri and Kansas with the first reported confirmed COVID-19 cases here in the metro. You know, many hospitals and nursing homes took a pretty hard stance and you know, they didn't allow visitors and there were debates if that was the wrong thing because the isolation of some of these patients was almost worse. Looking back on it, do you think that was the right call, isolating patients to the extent that we did?
0: I don't know if, if I, if, if I necessarily have, you know, an opinion, if it was right or if it was wrong, um, I can tell you that, you know, at the time, it was, um, we, we knew it wasn't best for the patient, we, we knew it wasn't, but the hospital, you know, is trying to protect, not only, you know, the patients in the hospital, But also the community and, you know, keeping it from spreading as much as they can, plus their staff, because if their staff is all sick, then they don't have anybody to take care of the patients. Right. So, so the hospital is trying to do the best that they, you know, can and and make policies to do that. And so we knew it wasn't good for, you know, the patients, but at the same time, you know, a lot of things were dependent upon making sure that if somebody was in the hospital and they didn't have covid and they were COVID negative, but they needed to go to rehab, they needed to have a COVID negative test in order to get into rehab. Mm -hmm. So if they ended up getting COVID or, you know, being positive for COVID, then that also messed up placement. And now they couldn't, you couldn't help, you know, get the patients out of the hospital or get them where they need to now because they have they have COVID, and unfortunately, you know the um, visitors weren't always good about making sure that they were following the hospital right, policies. Right, right,
1: right. Just, I only have thirty seconds left here. How common was it to have patients who didn't believe in the vaccine or didn't want the treatment, Julie?
0: Oh, very much so. it It was very it was very common. Um, people would come in. There was. Um, countless stories of, you know, you have, you present in, you know, somebody who had all the symptoms, they had, you know, the COVID positive tests, and a doctor's trying to tell them what, you know, what the treatment is for it. And just, nope, I don't have that. I, yeah. I don't believe in it, and I don't yeah. have it. So it's common.
1: We're going to have to leave it there. That's Julie Main, a 10-year respiratory therapist, uh, recounting her experiences working at a hospital in Kansas during the pandemic. Uh, The first confirmed COVID cases uh, came three years ago today in both Missouri and Kansas. Julie, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for your, your memories here.
0: Well, thank you for having me.
1: Up to Date is produced by Zach Wilson, Reginald David, Elizabeth Ruiz, Zach Perez, and Hannah Cole. Our intern is Claudia Brancard. Our announcer and engineer is Paul Nakatura. Our theme music is composed and performed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.